Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. To the scripture is this, that it is error-free, that the Bible is error-free, and that if ever two verses come at each other and seem to be contradictory, the fault lies in us due to translation or interpretation. The scripture is right. We are more than likely wrong. Based on the track record of my life, we could probably say that that's a given, you know? Uh, if anything's screwed up, it's probably me. It's probably not Jesus uh, or his word. So that's our approach. That's important. That's very important. Because when we see these verses that come at each other and one says this and the other one seems to be opposed, we have to kind of take the approach. Um, maybe there's something else there. Context matters. One passage may say one thing and another say something else, but the context and the characters within the story may be different. Thus, we have to interpret, interpret it differently. Let me give you an example. Two passages that seem to be absolutely opposite direction, contradictory, okay? First one is this. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he is telling them he's really, I mean, really getting them. If you want to read some brazen stuff that Jesus says to these Pharisees, you should read this passage. Mark chapter 7, verse 9 through 13. Let me read it to you. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, anyone that declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is devoted to God rather than to them, then you no longer do them, you no longer do anything for them, for your mother and father. Thus you nullify the word of God uh, by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like this. So what we hear Jesus saying is this, there is this group of people and so instead of, instead of going to their mom and dad who are aging and not doing well health-wise, instead of going to them and saying, mom, dad, can we, can we get you out of this you know, rickety home and bring you into our place and help take care of you or would you take some money so that you can, you know, you can, you can get cable, um, you can order out some night, you can maybe get, maybe order out, maybe you want to do that. Instead of doing that, what they did was they took their money and then they went to a place where there was a lot of people and then they waved the cash around while they put it in the offering box. And Jesus said, you bunch of hypocrites. It's your mom and dad. What is wrong with you? So you hear this and you go, Jesus is pro-family. Well, we obviously know Jesus is pro-family. We obviously know that. He had a mother, right? He had a physical father. He had a heavenly father. When he refers to God, he refers to him as his father, him as the son. When Jesus tells a story and he talks about parables, a man had two sons. Why does that parable hit so hard, the story of the prodigal son? Why? Because Jesus understood family, because you understand family. When Jesus talked about in parables, he also used weddings. So there's a wedding. Jesus is pro-family. Then we read this passage here, Matthew chapter 10. Verse 34 through 37. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And then we go, oh my, Jesus is angry. What happened? 
What caused this sudden turn? I'm pro-family. Unless, of course, I have to bring a sword to your house and I'm going to start hacking relationships in pieces. Context. I've shared this with you before. If I write my wife a love letter and I'm in the office and I write her this wonderful love letter and I just say, babe, you are so beautiful. You are just so wonderful and so sweet. I love our time together. I look forward to kissing you when I see you next. Love, Jared. And on my way to the truck, I drop it in the parking lot. And then Luke is coming in and Luke sees this piece of paper in the parking lot and he picks it up. And he opens it and he begins to read it. And immediately he's sick. Uh, Jared, do we need to talk? About what? I got this letter from you. What letter? I called the elders. They're coming over. We need to have a meeting. For what? For this letter that you wrote me. What are you talking about? Babe. You're beautiful. You're... I want to kiss you. Jared, do we need to talk? What's missing? Context is missing. I didn't write that to you, you bonehead. What is No, there's context to these situations. To pull a verse out of Scripture and be like, yep, uh, that's why I'm never talking to my mom and dad again because Jesus said he's bringing the sword. Thus, I'm bringing the sword. Okay, you're probably out of bounds. What was going on in the first story? Jesus is getting a group of hypocrites who are saying they are the teachers of the law. They're the ones that are, that are teaching the people how to worship God. In the second one, what's going on? Jesus is talking to his disciples, and what he's saying is this. The degradation of family is the biggest, most broken thing that we see in our culture. Family by itself does not have a good track record of staying together. Divorce rate is at 50%. I don't care where you measure that. Yeah, but what about in the church? 50%. But outside the church, 50%. It's broke. What Jesus is telling his disciples is, I'm going to fix family on a completely different level. Here's why. Because families oftentimes, when staying inside the confines of their own relationships, get weird. Have you noticed? They get weird. They get diseased, they get poisoned, and we keep it all to ourselves, and it gets, it gets strange. So Jesus is saying, do you want to fix that problem? Put me first. So let's apply that passage to our life before we jump into Mark 3. If you do, what's the main focus of your family? We all kind of have like a theme that's dominant inside of our homes as we're growing up. We all have some sort of theme. Avoid conflict, is that one? I see, I see some of you are like, yeah, that's me. That's me. Avoid conflict at whatever cost. Lie, cheat, steal, uh, whatever. Like play dumb. Sweep it under the carpet maybe. Is that yours? Don't disrupt dad. My wife's always right. She's always right. She's always right. Is that one? I mean, even when she's wrong, she's right. I'm wrong. She's right. Always. Is that one? Happens though, doesn't it? We get inside these family circles and this is what happens. My kids are the greatest people in the history of the entire world on the face of the planet in the whole entire universe. Really? Your kid? Really? 
But that's a real thing, isn't it? If you don't believe me, soccer season's about to start up. <laughs> Go on, take a little jaunt down there and look how many little heroes are out there. Oh, they are all so precious and terrible, just like their parents, all of them. It's true. It's what happens. Defend them at all costs, even if they're wrong. Is that yours? See, we have these things that just kind of come out. Don't bother dad. He's kind of manic today. You know? That's the one at my house. You know? There's these things that we live inside of. When we get to the place to where our family happiness or our happiness itself crawls up on the throne of our hearts, do you know what we've just done? You have invited Jesus into your home with his sword. That's what you've done. My kids come first. Over what? Over everything? Go ahead and unlock the door. Jesus is coming in. He's bringing his sword. He's going to fix that for you. Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, we just don't like to have conflict at my... Okay, good. Uh, so somebody is somebody's not communicating. Somebody's just dishing it out all the time. Somebody's just taking it all the time. Yeah, but we like it that way. It works for us. Okay, well, unlock the door. Jesus is coming in with his sword. And he's going to hack this thing to pieces. That's what he's telling you want to fix family, then Jesus comes first. So even when the verses seem to be contradictory, they're not. Context matters. <clears throat> in light of those ideas and that concept, let's take a look at Mark chapter 3. Um, th this thing is so full, this is so full of so many cool things. Uh, so you just kind of have to like put your seatbelt on and track with me if you can track with me because I'm, I'm going to be all over the place. This is, this is really cool. It's really cool. Mark chapter 3. We are in verse 20. Let me read you verse 20 and 21. Then Jesus entered a house and again crowds gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about it, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Time out. If you think your kids are crazy, it's because of you. Fair, right? It's just a little bitty miniature version of your craziness. I mean, you can deny it and be like, no, it's not. It's <laughs> their mother, you know. <laughs> but then you're probably in trouble again, you know. If, but, but I'm serious. Like, there's this kind of element. Like, it's kind of her, hereditary. Even in the life of Jesus, who is Jesus' family to start pointing fingers at Jesus like, I think Jesus is crazy. Oh, really? Do you remember the Christmas story? Seriously? Well, let's just take a look at it just at a glance. An angel shows up and tells this young girl she's going to be pregnant. Bada bing, bada boom, bada... There you go. Suddenly, she's got a baby. She shows up, and Joseph's like, well, uh, but that's not us. And she's like, no, God did it. And then Joseph's like, eh, it doesn't seem right, you know? Something about that is fishy. Joseph goes home. He's thinking this thing over. An angel appears, tells Joseph, it's all right. God really did do it. He says, it's not fishy. No, it's not fishy. It's good. All right, it's good. So they go. There's some shepherds that obviously nobody knows about that are in the fields nearby. 
You know who they're with? Angels, of course. And then wise men from the east. We don't ever hear of any more wise men from the east. Uh, at any point, they just show up. Hey, we followed a star here to the cave where this lady who had a baby from God who's going to be the king of the year. Are you kidding me? You can't point your finger and say Jesus is crazy. That whole background is crazy. I will say this. I believe every single bit of it. But I'm saying, let's just weigh it out. You can't say he's crazy. Really? The whole family? You mean to tell me Mary didn't get made fun of? Come on. Come on. She showed back up at the family reunions. Like, oh, there's Mary. You know, the virgin birth, right? You mean that didn't happen? Come on. People are people. First century or this one? People are people. Why all of a sudden would Jesus' family show up and think he's crazy? Well, there's something here that I think we have to look at. The word for out of his mind is overwhelmed, astonished. It's the word they use for amazed. It's also the word they use for outside of your senses. And so maybe it's not that they think he's insane, that he's clinical, that he's lost it. Maybe it's not that. Maybe their, their thinking is this. He's not eating. I mean, that's what it says. When they heard that he could not even sit down to eat, his family came. Maybe they heard that he wasn't taking care of himself. That does happen though, doesn't it? And that's what family's for. Family is for protection. Are you doing a good job taking care of yourself? Are you eating good? When, you, when I was off at of college, my mom would call, are you eating good? It's, it's not good, but it's, they serve it, it's, but we eat it, you know? That's it, we, we, we do it, it's good, you know? I'll call him back. It, it's the same idea. Is he, is he doing okay? Now, we do know this. At one point in Scripture, it does say, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. But Mary, we also know this. She pondered on all of these things that had happened, and she stored them away in her heart. We know that's true. So I don't think Mary is one of the people who's showing up saying, oh my goodness, my son's lost his marbles. He's got this whole Messiah complex. What's his problem? I don't think that's it. But I think there's something else in the next verse that might give us a little insight. Verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub or Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons, they said. Maybe what they heard was that the crowds had grown so big they were overwhelming Jesus to the point that he wasn't able to eat even a meal. And then the family also heard of a coup. The religious elite from Jerusalem says, we're gonna have to shut this guy down. He's gaining way too much attention. If I were to say to you, would you take a bullet for your son or daughter? As parents, inevitably you would say, yes. If I were to ask you, would you jump in front of traffic to save your best friend, the majority of you would say, yes. If I were to say, you're willing to be burned at the stake for what you believe, some of you would say yes. 
There's a fine line between crazy and conviction, isn't there? When you look in on a story, that looks like it's crazy or it's deeply, deeply, deeply convicted. And Jesus is in this place. And maybe what they're saying is not so much that he has lost his mind, but that what you're doing is crazy. It's going to get you killed. This is going to get you killed. Here's what's interesting. The very next few verses, this is one of those situations I, I told you about a couple weeks ago called intercalation, where there's a sandwiching of story. Mark starts family, then he talks about this whole demon possession thing, then he goes back over here and he ends with family. It's the sandwiching of the story. So this little middle piece in the middle is this conversation to where they're trying to say, Jesus is casting out demons from all these people because he himself is the devil. Interesting word about this word Beelzebub, or Beelzebub. And this is kind of crazy to me, and I don't know, I don't know how far you can carry, carry this, but it means dung God. That Jesus is full of it. I don't know how far you can run with that, but it's interesting. The Jewish leaders, that's one thing. But the Jerusalem leaders, uh, that's when you get the, uh, and you look through the peephole, this is the guy with the badge and he's got a black overcoat, he's got yellow letters on his coat, you know what I mean? I need you to step outside. This is a different deal. It's not deputy dog, you hear me? Hey there, boys, I know, I know, I, now I'm not that. This is business. And they begin to question Jesus about what's going on. Maybe what his parents are saying is this, not his parents, but his mother and his brothers. Maybe what they're saying is, Jesus, I understand what you, I understand. I, I know better than anybody else knows. You have to do what you need to do, but you're gonna get killed. Back it down. Here's what else is interesting. The Jewish leaders, these Jerusalem leaders show up and they're saying, you better pipe that noise down. You better shut all that stuff down. Get rid of these crowds. Stop making these giant claims. And you better check yourself at the door. You know, what I, you know what I love about this? There's two enemies to the gospel. There's two enemies that keep the gospel from moving out into the world. Do you know what it is? Opposition and family. Family. Oftentimes, family gets in the way of the gospel message. When you look at the decline of church attendance in people's lives, what you see is that somebody will say, when you ask the world, how many of you believe in God? There's this overwhelming population who say, yes, I am Methodist. Yes, I'm Catholic. Yes, I'm Christian. Yes, I'm Southern Baptist. And then you ask the second question, do you attend church regularly? Oh, no, my mom was Presbyterian. I'm half Methodist on my sister's side. Um, I'm, I used to be Catholic. Actually, my grandpa was Catholic. My mom was never even really a good one. Then I like, kind of adopted it. And this is what you get. Yet we'll claim and hold on to it. But it is so far away from us. Here's what else is interesting. Move on down to the next, the next passage. I mean, the next set of verses. Um, starting in 
30. Nope, 31. Jesus has his altercation with the Pharisees. And then he, he goes back to family. Mark writes, he goes back to the family. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. Listen, right here, just for one second. The word standing is super important, all right? That's a super important word. So don't, don't let me forget it, okay? Standing outside, they sent someone in to call for him. Verse 32. A crowd was what? Sitting. What's the family doing? Standing. What's the crowd doing? Hold on to that, all right? And they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside. There's a word in the Greek, in the original text, that, that is, that's missing from our English translation, at least from the NIV. And it's the word behold. And it's not like, ah, oh, well, check that out. Hey, sorry, mom's outside. It's not that. Behold. Ah, this is what dads have done to sons for their entire like childhood. You're going down the road, you're sitting in the car or the truck with your dad and, and you're just going down the road and then dad who just does not ever get excited about too much suddenly just goes like this. Oh, look at those deer. Right? Ah, look at those turkey. wonder who owns that property. I should call it. Would you look at that? That's behold. It's not, I saw some deer the other day. It's, did you see them? The word doesn't mean see, it means experience. These people sitting on the floor look at Jesus, interrupt his sermon or whatever he's trying to do, and they say to him, Jesus, your mom and, your mom and brothers are outside. Experience this. Jesus says, who is my mom? Who are my brothers? And then Mark's favorite thing, Mark uses it more than anybody. Luke uses it once. Mark uses it six times. It's this. Remember this thing? And he looked around the crowd. Eye contact. Personal interest. Direct involvement. Who's my family? The position of a disciple is not one who stands in the presence of a teacher. The position of a disciple is somebody who what? Sits in the presence of a teacher. Do not be surprised if on some level Jesus calls you to have to detach away from family values and all kinds of family craziness and cycles and cycles of unhealthy relationships so that you can move forward with Christ. Because that's real. Don't be surprised. And Jesus says, I'll tell you who my mother and who my brothers are. It's anybody who does the will of God. You know what's true? Is that family fails us at times. Family fails us at times. Even with all the best intentions in the entire world, family fails us. 
But God has another idea. You see, when we say family, we say family with a lowercase f. When God says family, he says family with a capital letter F. No, 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 no. I don't mean like blood related. I mean blood related. No, I don't mean like kin, like, you know, we're cousins and we grew up together. I'm talking about kin like co-heirs with Christ. Do you want to see racism go away? Of course you do. Do you want to see classism go away? Of course you do. Do you want to see poverty go away? Of course you do. Brokenness? Absolutely. Bigotry? Prejudice? Of course. Then adopt Jesus' version of family. Because that subverts everything else in our social system that is broken. When you look across what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, when he said, even your enemies will become members of your own household. Why? Because only Christians say weird crap like that. True, right? Some of you, I know for a fact, you're sitting in the room with somebody who you, in this room right now, who you're like, I used to really have a problem with that guy. Like it happens, it's happening right now. Or that guy did me dirty in business once. It's real. Why are you both here? Because you've adopted capital letter F, family. Some of you are like, I've been arrested by that guy. Some of you are like, I've arrested that guy. <laughs> capital letter F, family. Do you want to fix that? Do you want to erase all the lines? See, here's where I get tripped up all the time when I see the news and it's all about, well, here's the problem with conservative right or here's the problem with the liberal left. Here's the problem. You know what the problem with both of those situations are? Is that it's not capital F family. That's the problem. Because in God's mind, the king, the, the kingdom of heaven means this, that we become brothers and sisters and we're not better than each other. I don't care what the color of their skin is. I don't care what their orientation is. You're not better. I don't care what kind of job they do or don't do, how much money they make or don't make. This teaching subverts everything. We have to adopt the idea that when it, get, when it comes to our family, we teach right and we teach wrong. We don't teach you're a princess and you're never wrong. You're a little prince and you can get away with murder. Those don't work. What we have to teach is right and wrong and that Jesus is king of all. All of us, all of us bow to the same rules. The ultimate law, when they came to Jesus and they said, melt it all down, melt every single bit of it down. What's the most important thing out of the law? And what did Jesus say? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This is why family comes first to Jesus. This is why. Because there are those out there. See, there's a position of inside of your family, when something goes wrong, you run to your family, correct? This is the way it's always been. This is kind of just the, the instinctual structure of what it looks like. When something breaks, you run to your family. And you run to them, and this is what you do. Jesus is suggesting that we take a different approach. Jesus is saying, there's a broken world out there. Let's run to them. Let's run to them. 
Let's go get them. Let's go collect them. Let's bring them in. Let's go be the family to them. Get over this thing about I'm still little. I'm still tiny. I still need my mommy to dote on me even though I'm 44. Maybe it's time to grow up. Maybe it's time to go be the family of God and extend that hand to those out there who are broken. That is the message that we get from here. We're disciples and we sit at the feet of Jesus. Jesus has inner circle. Jesus has outer circle. Here, the inner circle of those who are sitting in his feet. Let me tell you this, then we'll close. If you don't have biological family or you were the prodigal and you've been tossed out, you got pushed to the brink or your actions caused you to be an absolute disaster and you don't have that support anymore, this is really good news to you, isn't it? And if you grew up with family and it got twisted and it got weird and somehow along the way you grew up and you were like, man, I'm weird because of my family. This is really good news, isn't it? It's applicable to all of us across the board. This is the beauty of what scripture does for us. Okay, um, next week, Luke is tackling some, uh, some passages. I'm taking a Sunday off, which reminds me, um, I'm, gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be teaching children's church next week um, because it's my turn to teach children's church. So in some of you who have not, scanning to see if I know anyone who has not, if you have not volunteered to pull your weight come down and teach Sunday school with the down in what they call um, what do we call it? Thunderdome. Children's Church they refer to as Thunderdome. If you have not taken your turn in Thunderdome, two men enter, one man leaves. Okay? If you have not taken your turn, um, get with Luke. Give him a, a, a week or so that will uh, be good for you. Get yourself signed up so we can so we make sure we can get those people who are down there up here and they can, they can grow and hear the word as well. So uh, let's pray and we'll go. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you will give us a uh, wonderful day, wonderful week, Lord, that we can focus on you. Lord, we can look around uh, the, the landscape and, uh, and the people that are in our life and we can begin to ask the questions of who do we need to extend our love to? Who do we need to focus on and bring in to your family? Uh, Lord, we know that you came to seek and save the lost and you've commissioned us to do the same. Lord, give us the strength and the awareness to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good day.